Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. Welcome to April's guest episode, everyone. Who on earth is this guy? Uh, I don't know, but he's real cute. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, hello. Um, do you Are you flirting on our podcast? This is Hannah's husband, Brandon Graves. <laughs> Hi, I'm so excited to be here and doing this. I'm going to not flirt with you. But that's cool. <laughs> that's, we've mentioned him multiple times. We've, we've read his text, so we asked him to be our April guest, um, and he has approached it similar to how Rachel did, my sister, but a little bit different. You want to explain? Yeah, yeah. So I have decided to try to unite you with my book (laughs) selections. Um, So I have two books. Um, The first, um, I think, so so first of all, I like both of these books. So I've selected two books that I like. And the first, I think that you both will also like. Okay. Um, and the second, I think you both would hate. Okay. So okay. I tried to find that sort of category where it's like, these are books I like. I'm excited to talk about them. I think you'll enjoy one of them. Don't think you'll enjoy the other as much. Okay. Um, the first one is Embassy Town by China Meville. And the second is Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. Okay. Do you want to do the one we might hate first? To, yeah, let's to... take it up at the end. Tell, tell <laughs> me what I'm going to so hate. So that we can end on the, on the good one? Sure. Yeah, we can do that. Um, okay, so uh, Gideon the Ninth. Um, man, this is exciting. All right, cool. Um, <laughs> you have a free platform to tell people what you like, and no one can yeah. stop you because there's no one here. <laughs> yeah. All right, so um, this, this book took me by surprise in so many ways. I'm going to start by talking about uh, the author. Um, she was born March 14th, 1985 in South in New South Wales, Australia. Oh, I didn't and, know she was Australian. Yeah. Uh, now she's spent most of her life in New Zealand. So oh. she, I think they moved, I think she moved to New Zealand when she was nine months old. I mean, there's so, approximately uh, the same uh, accent. Uh, in, yeah, they're similar in my head. Just one has more sheep. <laughs> I'm sure that's, I'm sure they would agree that's the only difference. Yeah. <laughs> she currently lives and works in Oxford in the UK. Oh. Um, she has a degree in education. I didn't know that. Yep. Um, she actually kind of reminds me of our friend Lauren. Oh, okay. Uh, both okay. in like, appear- I don't know, like in her appearance too. And then like, she's very like nice looking, but then she produced a book like this. So she harbors darkness within her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like really, get to the it's darkness really cool darkness. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, Gideon the Ninth is the first in a series that is still being written. Um, the third book released last year. Uh, so the second one is Harrow the Ninth. Uh, the third book released last year, Nona the Ninth, which was kind of a surprise to everyone because at the end of the second book, there was a little excerpt that said, prepare for Electo the Ninth. 
And so that was, it was like, oh, it's going to be a trilogy. The next one's going to be Electo. And then all of a sudden Nona was announced and it came out like really quickly afterwards. And I think like, I don't even think it was her plan. Like she just started writing and it ended up being a different book all entirely. So is that going to be like a fourth <clears throat> one or yeah. like, did she just change it? No, uh, it, it, all, it all fit in. And I think she just realized there was more to this part of that part of the narrative than she had originally been thinking. Um, and it's incredible. Like Nona the Ninth was amazing, but I'm gonna try not. I'm gonna try to just stick with this one. Um, <laughs> well, I I have yeah. to disclose that I already know quite a bit about this book. So Who I'm told gonna, you about it. I listened to a podcast about it. <laughs> oh, I was joking. I thought you meant like me talking. Oh, about well, <laughs> I mean, I've also listened to you. Sure, yeah. So can you explain like what the like these all these books are the ninth in a name? Can yeah. you Explain. Okay. What yeah. that means. So. The there are nine basically there are nine planets in this like empire, right? So, okay, so, so immediately genre. immediately sci-fi is the vibe okay. that you get from that, right? Okay. However, we're not going to live comfortably in the sci-fi genre at all. Okay. It does <laughs> you don't read this feeling like you're reading a sci-fi. Okay. There's just very clear sci-fi elements to it. Like, for example, five planets in an empire, right? And each planet has its own house as part of the empire. And each house kind of has its own, like, identifying, like, traits, features. Um, and so here, there's a little poetic description of them at the beginning here. Two is for discipline, heedless of trial. Three for the gleam of a jewel or a smile. Four for fidelity, facing ahead. Five for tradition and debts to the dead. Six for the truth over solace and lies. Seven for beauty that blossoms and dies. Eight for salvation, no matter the cost. Nine for the tomb and for all that was lost. There's multiple examples of that sort of thing in here. And, like, each house has its own, like, skull uh, signet, like uh, insignia. So those are ranks within a house? No, those are each the different houses. Oh, oh, yeah. okay, okay. And, like uh, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw. <laughs> well, that's actually one thing that struck me about this is, uh, so the only, the only friend that we share who reads this with me and we talk about it as our friend Marla. And so we have had conversations of like, oh, which house, do, which house would you be, right? So it immediately has that. Over the course of this story, you do get to see representation from these houses, which is fun in a sort of like Harry Potter house, uh, Hunger Games. But it's all focused on the Stormlight, ninth. you know. It's all focused on the ninth house. Well, so the main character slash characters is okay. is the ninth. And that's, okay. and that's how it is with all. So books, as the books go forward, our main focus is the ninth house and, and characters that are a part of the ninth house. Okay. But in over the course of this book, we do get, like I said, we get representation from the different houses. You get to see characters and and like really get to know and even kind of fall in love with some characters from different houses. Okay. So you do get, I feel like, a well-rounded look at like what the empire looks like. You know, you have these representatives. Stephanie, do you have questions? Are you lost? <laughs> <laughs> um, I just keep looking at this tiny little excerpt at the bottom of the book that's quite intriguing, and I don't know if I can Yeah, no, please do. <laughs> Lesbian necromancers explore a haunted gothic palace in space. I mean, yeah, I my short, I kind of want to read it. My shorthand for this book is lesbian necromancers in space. Yeah. yeah. I mean, someone else also thought so. Yep. I can't tell if that is something I would like or not like, but I am intrigued. So I've got a little thing from uh, Vox that I found that says... 
The Locked Tombs trilogy's logline is that it is about lesbian necromancers in space, but it's also so much more than that, which I keep keep saying. I know. Whenever you're reading your lesbian necromancer book, I was like, it's not just about that. Uh, But it's a rich, it says, this is the quote again, it's a rich and vibrant story about love and sin and redemption laced through with allusions to everything from Peter's denial of Christ to the nun pizza with left beef meme. <laughs> and like, that's for real. Like, I I mean, the style of this book is is like nothing else. Like, we immediately at the beginning, I can't describe it without you immediately thinking, oh, we're reading a sci-fi, right? right. Planets. But so, only sort of, and only parts of it do you even feel like it or, or even reminded that that's a thing. Does it land in another genre specifically or does it, does it never define itself? Is it... So I don't know. It, um, we deal heavily with necromancers obviously right so there's, so there's magic fantasy. there's fantasy elements there's there's a unique sort of lore attached to it and a history and purpose behind these houses uh, a magic system you know of a sorts um, but then it also feels really like the nun pizza left beef <laughs> meme like it feels really contemporary in a way where like yeah. there's lots of references to internet culture but yet the internet doesn't seem to be a thing at all. So there's just the, the language, yeah. That's one of my hangups, like why I probably won't read this book. It's like the same reason I'm not going to read Ready Player One. I don't know video games, so I don't. I'm right. Not, yeah, like it might not be fun for you. Well, and that, that's yeah. a good point. Like there's, uh, she's she's dealt with in interviews apparently uh, being asked, asked about all the references. And yeah. she really does it for fun and for humor, but it's not unlike Ready Player One, it's not integral to the narrative in any way. Okay. Like, it would just be fun if you caught it. I'm sure there's plenty in there that I never caught um, and just kind of breezed right by and just thought, oh, that was another weird thing for someone to say amongst a book with lots of weird things that are said. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's spaceships, there's skeleton armies, there's sword fights, um, very contemporary language and F-bombs and all sorts of things that don't feel like high fantasy in right. any way whatsoever. Um, there's a mystery that unfolds and relationships that develop. And, like, that's the part to me that I think she does the best is the dialogue uh, between characters and character relationships um, and interactions. Uh, I think she captures that in a way that feels really authentic um, mm-hmm. and is really powerful. In the spirit of why I think you... <laughs> I was going to ask, yeah, so why are we going to hate it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. selling it. I already kind of know why <laughs> yeah. I'm going to hate it. <laughs> so... There's a lot. I mean, obviously, I like it, so I can talk it up, you know, but I also am aware of some things that are not as strong about it. Um, And I think one of those is as strong as the writing is in dialogue and in the relationships. It's also kind of vague in a way with uh, descriptions, especially when it comes to setting and location. Uh, there were a lot you of times. Have trouble with that. Yeah. yeah, there were a lot of times when I had to get my bearings in this book and try to construct a visual. Especially since it's not set in our world, that's pretty yeah. important. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't just like give a phrase that immediately puts us gives us a picture in our brain because this isn't anywhere any of us have ever been before. Right. This is bad. I don't recall what the actual name of the place is, but it's basically like this huge, almost like mansion, but it's more of like a. Uh, it's larger than that. It's not just like a single house. A it's like yeah, it's more like a compound with lots of levels and rooms, some of which are locked, some of which you can go into and others you can't. Labs and just all sorts of things. I mean, it's almost like a dungeon crawler type of deal <laughs> where it's like you just keep going and you don't know how far this construction goes. 
and uh-huh. it's on this sort of isolated planet by itself. So it's like this abandoned uh, building that was once used heavily for all these different purposes. And the whole idea, the conceit is that uh, these pairings, and this is important, I got to talk about the pairings, uh, because there are pairings uh, between a necromancer and their cavalier. And that's central to, honestly, the series, uh, not just like this book. Um, but that relationship, that, that dynamic in that relationship is central to this story, is the relationship between um, a necromancer, who is the magic user of the relationship, and the cavalier, who's the melee fighter, I guess, sure. uh, of the relationship, the sword fighter. The um, detective and his lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Um, and that was something, like, this was from, I won't read this whole thing, but I was just trying to find, like, some of what she had to say about that relationship. And uh, so an interviewer asked, this is once again on Vox, uh, we have at the heart of this mythology this relationship between the necromancer and the cavalier. We see that iterated over and over again in the different characters. Some of them are romantic, some are familial, some are platonic, but they all appear to be very loving, and that's, that's important. Um, but there is like a weird power dynamic down to little things like the way the Cavaliers are made to sleep in a smaller cot at the foot of the Necromancer's beds. So there's definitely, there's definitely a that power dynamic. That just makes dynamic. me think of Michael Scott. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. uh, I just, I just go down here. He's, he's the Cavalier of that relationship. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Jam, um, Jam is a Necromancer. Would be yeah, that, that's, that's actually pretty apt. That's pretty, apt. That's pretty good. Uh, but so she was, yeah. You you like the relationships. The relationships are are a powerful part of okay. it. Um, yeah, and that's that's awesome because, yeah. Anyway, and there's a lot of different ways that they are. Uh, like I said, there's different versions of them at, when you see the different pairings from the different houses. Uh, like one of the necromancer cavalier pairing is a married couple, uh, and then another are, well, Gideon is uh, Harrowhark's cavalier. So Gideon the ninth is the cavalier to Harrowhark, who's the necromancer of the ninth. Okay. Uh, two women, and they this, they despise each other. This book begins by making it very clear how much they despise each other in a relationship that traditionally has so much trust as as a central part of it and as a necessary part of it. So that tension is... Is this an enemies to lovers romance? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, I do know, sort of, because I know how yeah. the book ends. So... But, there, there's element. I, I don't think it's. But why do yeah, you? There's elements why do of it that's you think we will hate yeah. it? Get okay, sorry. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I think the lack of clarity in description of setting is so would difficult. You, would you say world building is a is a weakness? Uh, I don't know. The world is incredibly unique and designed, and I think that there's a lot. There's actually a lot of like magic necromancer techno babble that I'm confident she knows exactly what it means, but she doesn't fully describe it. And that's actually the other thing. I think the building is there. I think the communication about the world building Mm. is what's less clear. And that was the other thing. The magic stuff was like, it's, I feel like she has a good, the author has a fairly good grasp of how it works, Mm -hmm. but a lot but of times why? I'm just like along for the ride, like trusting like, oh, OK, that's a thing. I, I got you now. I'm, I'm trying to follow along with all of this referential speech because the dialogue will be between these experts in the field of necromancy. And so they're not dumbing down the conversation at all for me, who's. They don't you know, have the love of Nary idiot. raised one body from the dead. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, you mean you have no not yet? Not yet. I'm, okay. I'm working on it. Yeah. There's, there's a bird in the office. And it's, it's a thing. Anyway. I've heard excerpts from this book, and I don't think the writing style also would 
be my thing. And that's that's the I other know. thing. I mean, like I said, the references are not not just not, the references. Yeah, the references but... themselves are not central, but the style is very um, irreverent. If that Did makes you say sense. Cheeky. <laughs> I mean, some of the characters are Gideon's pretty cheeky. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that certainly comes her voice, her voice, she has a big personality. And big personalities can get exhausting when they are the main mm-hmm. protagonist. Right. And so I could I could definitely see that wearing people down because not only does she have a big personality, she's also kind of she's angry and she masks a lot of that anger through like sarcasm and wit, which I can get behind. I get that, but like, there's times hanging when out probably... with an abrasive person for not a short book. No, yeah. yeah how many pages <clears throat> is that thing? Oh, let's see. We're coming Apple. up on 500. Yeah, it's like 450. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that might be a long time to stick with someone if you're not fully jiving with yeah. Their... yeah, and if you don't get all their references. Yeah. <laughs> now she is like probably of the pairing. Uh, she's the less abrasive one between her and Harrowhark, so maybe that kind of makes her feel a little bit more like a reprieve. Because, you know, you go through this book and Harrowhark's just like ice queen. So the second book is called Harrow the Ninth. Yeah. And, it's, and you follow her. And then the third is Nona the Ninth. Yeah. Which one has been your favorite out of all three? Oh, man. Um, I love Nona as a character a lot. And it's hard not to. She is, de- she is designed to be loved. But I think as a book, Harrow the Ninth has been my favorite so far. Okay. In right. spite of what I just said about the characters. <laughs> so this is, I think we've, Stephanie encountered this before where like I've tried to get you into a series and it's like we have to give you the first one, but the first one may not be the best. Right. Yeah. But you got to start at the beginning. Right. I love it. Uh, I am yeah. weirdly intrigued. Like yeah. I, I might, <laughs> I might look for a chapter and be like, okay, this writing style really is not for me. I cannot read a whole book like this, much less a series. But like the concept does intrigue me. So if I could stick with the writing you might have me. Yeah. So I kind of, in my head, came up with guess ratings that each of you would give these, and they're not the same number for each of you. Okay. Like, (laughs) I I predict that you, Stephanie, would rate Gideon the Knight higher than Hannah would. Okay. What do you think we would both give it? Um, I think that Stephanie would probably give it a two and a half. Because you guys do halves. I don't okay. blame you. Right. I do that too. Story, hey, story graph <laughs> Two and allows half halves. Pancakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Hannah would be, I mean, at best, like a one and a half, probably. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What do you give it? Oh, uh, I, at minimum, four. Oh. At minimum. Okay. I would happily, if, if I weren't so bad about taking the time, like mentally getting past a, a, a block to reread books because I know I have so many on yeah, my you don't like to be read book uh, list re-reading. that I have trouble rereading, then I would happily reread these yeah. like multiple times. Because also it's one of those where they do tie together really well. So when you read later books, you'll and then catch you come more. back and catch stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I actually stuff. do need to go back and read this again and I will do so with great fervor. Okay. <laughs> All right. You can look forward to that. So that's yeah. the one you think we will hate. Right. Okay, this next one uh, is the one you think we'll both love? Yeah, I'll say I'll say at least like. Okay. Uh, really well. I have you know once again I have like <laughs> kind of my S guesstimate you know ratings yeah, but I think you guys would enjoy this one. I really do. China Meville. He was born in Norwich and has lived in London since early childhood. He's really hardcore looking, sort of like if Magneto and Professor X had a baby. Like, that's how okay. he looks. Like, he's yeah. 
Yeah. He's a he's an interesting dude. He is. Like he's yeah, he's super cool. He has this really um really polarizing quote about Tolkien. <laughs> oh, are you gonna share um, it? I can. I have it pulled up. Here, let me let's let's make it I was gonna say confrontational. Controversial. Controversial. <laughs> let's make it controversial. Let's make it yeah, controversial up in here. If oh, I man. can think of the right word. And like this is uh, you guys are really helping me embrace like it being okay for people to hate the things you love. So I appreciate that <laughs> because let me tell you, I adore his writing. I have I have a small collection of yes. China Meville's books. You've recommended others to me. Yeah, yes. and I really, really love his writing. And then reading what I'm... he says about Tolkien is like <laughs> sort of heart-wrenching, but, but it doesn't change my love for either. So okay. I, I'm, still be friends I'm with someone growing. who doesn't like the same books yes, that you that's do. Right. Yes. All right. So I'm not going to read this whole thing because it's actually kind of long, uh, but I'll read the beginning of it. When people diss fantasy, mainstream readers and sci-fi readers alike, they are almost always talking about one subgenre of fantastic literature. They are talking about Tolkien and Tolkien's innumerable heirs. Call it epic or high or genre fantasy. This is what fantasy has come to mean, which is misleading as well as unfortunate. Tolkien is the win on the arse of fantasy literature. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. It just it keeps going from there. I know what an arse is, but not a win. But it's I like a, imagine it's, it's not like good. a cyst. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his oeuvre is massive and contagious. You can't ignore it, so don't even try. The best you can do is consciously try to lance the boil. Oh. And there's a lot to dislike. His <laughs> I'm, I'm going to mispronounce some of this. His Cod Wagnerian pomposity, his oh. boy's own adventure glorifying in war, his small-minded and reactionary love for hierarch hierarchical status quos, his, okay. his belief in absolute morality that blurs moral and political complexity, Tolkien's cliches, elves and dwarves and magic rings have spread like viruses. <laughs> he's, the one, he's the one who made them. Cliche. I know. Yeah, he wrote that the <laughs> function of fantasy was consolation, thereby stop. making I, it. Hannah's not friends with this. Uh, yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. This, so anyway, he basically goes on to say that um, if the pleasure of fantasy is supposed to be in its limitless creativity, why not try to come up with different things, unconventional mo monsters, challenge social and aesthetic norms and all of but that. But isn't that what he was doing in his yeah. time? Yeah, so obviously I love Tolkien too, you know, so like no. I could make all the arguments. And he even says like, this is not to say that any fan of Tolkien's no friend of mine. He's like, I would have no friends if that were the case, <laughs> <laughs> or very few. He understands um, the ridiculousness So he gets that, yeah, but it doesn't change how he okay, feels. Okay, so you're, this is the one yeah. you're trying to tell us we love. I know, I just, <laughs> told, you, I just so. told you all these things that are going to make you hate him as a person, <laughs> uh, but hopefully you'll like his book. I've actually read um, his YA novel. That's right, and I have not. Yeah, yeah he's got a, it's Unlundun. like Alice in Wonderland meets the Phantom Tollbooth. It's called okay. Unlundun. Yeah. Um, okay, tell us about Embassy okay, Town. Okay, yeah. All right, so this book takes place almost entirely in the city of the title, Embassy Town. Um, it's on a planet named... Arika, Arika. Uh, this planet is on the very edge of the known universe. Um, this is like deep, deep future, right? So this is sci-fi, fantasy. Sci-fi. Yeah, this awesome. this this is gonna feel more comfortably like you can call it sci-fi. Okay. This city is a colony of some importance because of its position on the edge of the charted universe, and also because of trade goods. 
Um, and so the story follows a character named uh, Avis or Avisi. I was going to look it up before I came. Just, just go with it. So you Avis. Just pick, a, pick a line. Okay, yeah. All right. I'm going to say it different every time. <laughs> <laughs> we do like when people do that. Lowen, Lauren. Right, yeah. Uh, Avis Benner Cho, who has just returned to Embassy Town, which is her childhood home, um, after having adventures via, like, hyperspace travel, basically. Um, so this planet colony is home to humans and other aliens um, living side by side with the race that's indigenous to this planet called Ariakai, or Ariakai. Um, they're also called the hosts, which is going to be easier to say, so I'll probably say that. Cool. Um, and they're not, <laughs> yeah. And they're not called that for like body snatcher reasons, but it's just right, because right. they're literally the ones hosting the colonists on their planet. <laughs> they're indigenous. Yes, that's right. Welcome to our home. Um, <laughs> welcome to our welcome. home. We are the hosts. Hello, colonizers. <laughs> welcome to our yeah, home. Because that's how that conversation often goes, right? I believe that is how yeah. it went yep. most places oh, that have been man. colonized. Oh, uh, much, much to, yeah, <laughs> their lasting disappointment. Um, so, But the most interesting thing about the hosts is easily going to be their language, and that's with, like, capital L, language. So the hosts have two speaking orifices, two mouths. Oh. I know orifices is a gross word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, not, and, not a lot of good reasons to use the word sorry. orifice. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> we'll just say two mouths. They have two. No. Well, they're, okay, yeah, I mean, yeah, sure, all right. So they I have, support your use of yes. the word orifices. Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> I said secrete, uh, none. Uh, <laughs> So many times. Uh, just don't use them together. No. Okay. No. <laughs> um, <so> they... <laughs> We're never going to get back on track. Oh, We're 12-year-old no. boys. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, uh, tell, continue. Okay. I will mouths. not interrupt you. Mouths. They have right. two mouths. Okay. Um, for speaking, not eating. They're not eating mouths. They're speaking mouths. Do they have an eating mouth? I don't remember. But <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but for us, it's the same thing. We can't assume with aliens that it's always the same thing, right? Right, we yeah. learned that. We did learn that. Um, Rocky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, right. Um, so, but they utter their language through both mouths simultaneously. And that, that's the key. That's central. Is it like a tonal thing? Sort of, yes. Um, but, yeah, there's other things going on, too. But, yeah, there is, it is very important that both mouths are speaking simultaneously to their understanding of how capital L language works. And I say capital L language because language, thought, and reality for the hosts is inseparable in their minds. They, they literally cannot understand the speech of individual humans speaking out of a single mouth. They cannot tell lies. Their minds are not even really able to speculate a whole lot. They, they are very literal. Interesting. Yeah. So like when you speak it, it, it is, that is reality. Yes. So it's like talking to a toddler. <laughs> sort they're, of. They're, yes, they're and they're like giant uh, bug versions of. Toddlers. I am very literal. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So the only way that humans have developed to speak with the hosts is by genetically engineering identical twins for the sole purpose of speaking with quote two mouths and one mind. Whoa. So these are okay. called. Yeah, I know. So it's they it's have wild. Like, twin interpreters who go twin around. Twin interpreters. This. So much better than the word in I'm the book. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> I just came out. That is a great portmanteau. That was, oh no, man. So actually, over. there's a concept of like a ne neologisms. Is that a real word? Or I don't know. Like I think so. To okay, what do you so because he like leans on that concept a lot. Like I think, where did I have that? I wrote that down somewhere. 
Yeah, so it employs fictional language or neologisms as a means of building its world. They're just and, new yeah, words. They're just new words. Okay, so yeah, that was a yeah, so that was a neologism. Good yeah. job, to interpreters. Well, thank you. So in the book, unfortunately, they're just called ambassadors. Okay, well, that was a missed <laughs> opportunity if I've ever uh, seen it. Man. We're not called twin, twin interpreters. <laughs> All right, we're just gonna mark that out with a sharpie in my book everywhere I see it. <laughs> To interpreters, but this is the only way that they can be understood by the hosts. Is you have to have these twin interpreters. Um, <laughs> um, so and people want this community, and so that seems like a lot of work for communication, right? So like, why do they go through all that trouble to genetically engineer? Well, it's for greed, obviously. Like they want. Oh, yes, yeah. trade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They want it because the area, the Iraq. I said I wasn't going to even bother. The hosts. The hosts. <laughs> yeah, the hosts uh, have these like super unique and therefore valuable biotechnological advances. So like they live in like li do. living homes and living weapons and living, you know. Oh, cool. Yeah, and so in order to trade with them, you got to communicate with them, which means you got to make twin interpreters. So their language, the host language basically, I mean, basically makes it impossible for them to lie. They can't even really speculate um, because their spoken language reflects both their state of mind and reality, like as they perceive it. So what that means, an, an interesting cultural impact to all of this is that they have a habit of, they have a practice of, I should say, of creating literal similes by recruiting individuals to play out unique and sometimes weird scenarios so that those literal events can become illusions in their language. So they're figurative. <laughs> they have to have like a theater of figurative language yes. to yes. use it. That's exactly what this they do. This is great. Go yeah. to the theater of figurative language. You would go to that. I would. So that is that is like I mean your joke. That's like exactly what they okay, do. Okay, cool. Yeah, they like recreate these or not recreate. They create these unique situations that they can observe. They can observe. And then, therefore, they can refer back to it, and it broadens their nuance of meaning when they speak to each other. I'm just thinking Wild. of, like, a guy on a stage with, like, a bird in a hand. And <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> like, that's what they would have to do. They wouldn't be able to just use that metaphor or a simile. They would have, yeah. to actually, they would have to actually create it so that they've seen it, and they can be like, oh, this is sort of like that thing that we saw happen. So mm -hmm. how would they... <laughs> now I'm thinking... <clears throat> It's as smooth as a baby's bottom. <laughs> More than one way to skin a cat. Oh, no! Kill two birds with one stone. Uh, Maybe, okay, yeah, let's just focus <laughs> on murder. Yeah, animal I, murder. My yeah. first one was like, man with rock, kill two birds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some potential for dicey. Accomplishing this task effectively was kind of like that time we saw that man murder those birds on stage. <laughs> sure, sure. Now, you know, some of their idioms wouldn't work because they're kind of bug people, so I'm guessing their baby's bottoms are not smooth. Oh, sure. So, you know, they would have to be like as smooth as a human baby's bottom. <laughs> right. right. I Yeah, the only thing I knew about this book before now is that you've told me to read it a lot of times. And <laughs> it has really cool stuff about language. Yes. In it. So, so okay. the protagonist um, has a history with this. Uh, theater of language, as okay. you call it, which is cool. You guys have like the best phrases for this book already. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and because as a young girl, she was memorialized as a human simile. Oh, um, so I want to. I want right, like, I want to be a human simile. Honestly, <laughs> see, but you guys are gonna love this book. <laughs> but no, for real, I remember like reading this and being like, "Him would geek out over this. Like, <laughs> have this be something that you ha that happened to you as a child." So she is the human simile for the phrase, the girl who was hurt in the dark and ate what was given to her. 
Oh, that's dark. It does sound kind of dark, right? And I mean, it has the word dark in it, which doesn't help. Mm-hmm. But like... And she ate what was given to yeah. her. Yeah. I wish my toddlers were like that. <laughs> <laughs> not that hurt, not dark. the dark part. But then they would just eat what is given to right, them. Right, right. Sure, sure. Anyway. Um, so like, I don't recall, I don't know if it describes, explains this or not, but like ostensibly a host comes across something they want to communicate, but don't have the language for it. Or they regularly just create Unique scenarios in the hopes that like maybe this will be useful. We'll use this one one day. I promise. Or they just like try things until like, hey, that one seems seems usable. Yeah, like like, it's an improv troupe that you maybe make language out of. This is so cool. (laughs) But like the way that it is inherently tied to their perspective of reality, the way that they view reality is so cool. So I might read this. Next week. Yes. <laughs> it's not a long one. This book. is all it took. <laughs> <laughs> it's for my wife and her best friend to start a podcast and then get invited as a guest to the podcast so I can get her to read a book that's been on her shelf for years. Yeah. But that's we how still Kyle... are not going to read Jonathan Strange. Yeah. That's how Listen, I read a book that Kyle's wanted me to read for forever. That's true. And he was so mad. He was like, well, Hannah recommends it. I was like, I can't say no to her. Right? <laughs> there are rules. I can't either. <laughs> um... Yeah, so uh, other cultural stuff by way of, you know, as an implication to this is that the hosts sometimes will compete in what's called festivals of lies. And they will see who can... This just keeps getting cooler. I know. So they'll see who can most closely approximate speaking an untruth, which is to them both thrilling and super taboo. Oh. Oh, so this is like, okay, this is... Interesting. Yeah. So imagine like a species that can't technically really lie because it breaks their brain, but it's sort of like a Yo Mama fight version of a lying <laughs> competition for a species that can't lie. And if they get even sort of close, it's like, whoa, it's like a rush. It's like, oh man, I can't believe you I'm just did excited that. About this. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, okay. So the inciting like that so that's world building i'll just give yeah you, that's like, all just you haven't even really told us plot this is just that's well okay. i'm gonna i want to spoil like i didn't say much about the last one either but i want to spoil like even less about this one. yeah I, I, don't, I really think yeah i don't want you to yes so no. i can give you the inciting incident if you want sure and that, that'll mm-hmm, be it mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. okay so humans and the hosts have lived side by side in peace for a long time okay that's um, nice yeah and then uh and there's uh, twin interpreters <laughs> who like help with that, but one day a new twin interpreter shows up. Dun, dun, dun. A new like duo. Yeah, a new oh, duo. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah. So they're they're re- referred to collectively, and as far as the hosts are concerned, they are viewed as one, right? Because mm-hmm. to them, it is one, right. and that's why it's really important that like they are they're in sync, like mentally, like it has they have to be speaking as one. They have to be really mentally in tune with one another and have the same. Which intention. not every set of twins. No, and that's is. why some genetic alteration has to be there. Like they oh. essentially share a mind. Like they have cool. to be that close. Okay. Um, but this new ambassador, twin interpreter, shows up, um, and here's an here's a fun thing that's done with language in the book, and um, is that uh, words uh, spoken by the hosts or the ambassadors will be will appear as like a fraction in the book. So there'll be a top line, a dash, and a bottom line. And oh, those whoa. those are spoken simultaneously. I love when books do funny stuff yeah. with like how they're written. It yeah. is so cool. And so the names of the ambassadors are the same. It's like the top line is Ez and the bottom line is Ra. And you have to say it simultaneously for it to be. Oh. Like, this audiobook work. 
My I'm, mind is breaking. I'm guessing maybe like a Project Hail Mary did, where it was like the the Rocky's voice was kind yeah. of blah, 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 blah. like you just would have yeah. to literally overlay it in post or something. But like, if you overlay that, are you gonna understand it? No, I don't know. I'm gonna try and get. The I don't know. Maybe they didn't do one. I don't know. We're just speculating. I actually really am curious. Now, so yeah, <laughs> now would, we have. Yeah, to, that would be a great to way out. to re re read this. Um, but yeah, so the weird thing about Ezra, which I can't say properly, right, mm-hmm. right. Um, is that they have not been genetically engineered to speak language. In fact, they don't even look alike. Oh. However, they are somehow able to, and the hosts freaking love the speech of this new ambassador. Like, it doesn't matter what Ezra actually says. Something about the language of this new ambassador intoxicates them like a drug. And it's at the risk of, de- of them developing a dependence on it, and which causes things to kind of start to deteriorate, okay. right? So our protagonist, Avis, is pulled in to help find a solution because she has a special relationship with the host, being a human simile. This is metaphor. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so there we go. Um, so anyway, it's weird and beautiful and takes all the things that you guys discussed about Rocky and Project Hail Mary and puts it at the forefront. Nothing in this book matters more than language. These oh, are all yeah. reasons why I think you would love it. It's awesome. Um, let's see. I also wrote down other reasons why you would love it. So, well-developed world, uh, emphasis on language, as I said, and it's a well-crafted story. It has what I feel like are satisfying explanations and twists to them that just like if, I feel like it's much more grounded both visually and narratively. Oh, I'm excited to read this. Cool. Me too. What, how many stars would you give it? Oh, I give this one. I I recommend this one all the time. So this is easily a five star for me. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I like. Yeah, this is one that I tell people about on yes. a regular basis, as you are aware. I'm curious <laughs> about both of them. I want. I'm gonna probably dabble in both and just see what happens. Yeah. Hey, I'll dabble cool. in one. <laughs> <laughs> you have made up your mind. <laughs> well, I already know how the other one ends. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's fun. Okay. And has lots of experience with lesbian necromancers. So I, like, what's know, a whole book about? I don't I need another one. Don't need another one. <laughs> I did listen to a whole podcast on the Overdue uh, yeah, podcast. Yeah, I remember you that, yeah. Um, I've read some of the pages. I don't think the writing... It's like how you described Stephen King. Mm. It's like, it's just not not the style for me. Yeah. Um, I think it's weird. I think, like, I'm aware of how polarizing Gideon the Ninth could be. And I've actually been, like, afraid to listen to the Overdue podcast or any others about it. Because <laughs> I really, I really just... They're pretty, they're pretty fair-minded <laughs> yeah, about okay. the, yeah, I mean, yeah, those guys are great. I listen to them. But, yeah. like, I just am afraid of anybody not liking them. It's <laughs> <laughs> <And so, laughs> like when you were talking about, like, reading reviews of stuff. Like, no, I don't want that in my head. I love yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what you're telling me is you don't want to do a podcast with your best friend where they hate on your books. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would be so much worse at it than you are. Good grief. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I would not be as good at it. Um, you and Kyle awesome. would just fight until you Which came to might a... be good entertainment. Like, yeah, it's not going to be a healthy like, conversation. The episode ends when we've come to the same conclusion. We just sit here and yell at each other yeah. until it is found. And There's enough so of that, that in the media. The, <laughs> the episodes are approximately seven hours long at minimum. Like, yeah, so... Okay. Well, cool. Well, thanks for sharing both of those with us. That was really fun. Super yeah, fun. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having me on here. What an honor yeah. to hang out with my friends, my friend and wife, <laughs> who is also my friend. <laughs> thanks for that. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap this up, but um, thanks for joining us for our April guest. Thank you, Brandon, for bringing in those two books, and we'll see you on the next episode. All right. See you.